Father, we thank you so much for this incredible, awesome day. And Lord, we praise you because you are faithful. You have been faithful. You will always be faithful. Great is your faithfulness. And your mercies are new every morning. And Father, we just pray your blessing upon everyone here today, those worshiping with us online. Open our hearts and minds to receive your word, to hear your word. Father, bring encouragement, strength, comfort, conviction, transformation. It is the power of you, Father. The gospel is for the salvation of everyone who believes. And we ask these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen and amen. You all may be seated. Well, good morning and welcome to the church at Woodbine. It is a pleasure seeing each and every one of you. Thomas, thank you so much for leading us in worship. So Thomas is a dear friend of ours. He works with Barefoot Republic Camp. That is how we got Lauren. It's because six, seven years ago, Barefoot did a camp here in the summer. That's how we met Thomas. And yesterday I called him up and he and his family were driving back from Kentucky. Say Kentucky, Kentucky from camp. And we just were touching base, and he's here this morning, so thank you for leading, and then also worship team. Uh, If you're musical or not musical, it really doesn't matter. It is hard and a challenge to worship with a different worship leader every week, and we've got an incredible worship team. So I just want to say to you guys on the worship team, thank you so very much. If you have closed your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians, please open them back up. And as we go through this little book, just a brief, quick little review. Paul and his team, and you can read this in the book of Acts, they travel from Philippi to Thessalonia, and it says for three Sundays, Paul taught in the synagogues. And it says that many of the Jews became believers and many of the prominent women and a lot of God-fearing Greeks, which were Gentiles, came to know Jesus. But the Jewish leaders, they stirred up the crowd and they stirred up wicked men and they caused a riot and they were looking for Paul. And these early young baby Christians, they hid Paul and his team. They themselves took the brunt of the persecution and then Paul and his team fled from the persecution. And they had only been with these believers for just a few short weeks. And as Paul traveled to Philippi, to Corinth, or not from Philippi, but to Corinth and then Athens, he was so concerned for these baby Christians. How would they respond with all of this persecution? Would they stand firm and would they stay committed to the Lord Jesus? Would they love him or would they melt like butter on a hot plate out in the sun on a hot day? So he sent Timothy back to see how they were doing. And in spite, in light of all the persecution, they were remaining faithful. Now, they weren't perfect, and they had questions, and they had issues. But they were standing strong in the faith, trusting Jesus. Timothy was so encouraged that when he got back to Paul, he gave a great report. And then Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians just to encourage these young baby Christians in their faith. And last week, I know I hit really hard on just persecution and affliction. We all face trials and tribulations and temptations. And today we're going to hit right here at the very end of chapter 3. It's what I call an apostolic prayer. There are 29 apostolic prayers in the New Testament. And this is one of them. I love this prayer. And this is kind of the culmination of Paul's encouragement to the Thessalonians before he dives into some teaching in chapter 4 and 5. But right here with this apostolic prayer, before we dive in, I want to share a little bit about Paul. 
Paul, when he thought and when he taught and when he preached to the church, and when you read from Romans all the way down to Philemon, many times you'll see Paul referring to the church as a house, as a building, and he's not talking about the physical building. And for many of us, I know most of us know this, this building is not the church. This campus is not the church. It's us, the people. And one of the symbols that Paul would use and refer to as the church is a house and a building. And it made me think as I was going through this week, Christy and I, we got married in 2000, right? In 1999, before we were even engaged, we bought property and we started to build our house. And I sometimes I think back on it, it's like, man, that's a lot of faith, Doug, that you and Christy had. We were building our house in Mexico before we were even engaged. But we knew what God's going to do. And when I think back on our house, we spent 15 years in that house, and we never finished it. And there are some pictures of, it's not our house, but this is what our house kind of looked like at one point in time before we moved in. And in Mexico, we were encouraged, don't finish your house. you got to have the rebarb sticking out because then you'll get lower taxes because your house isn't finished. Oh, so we had rebarb. And there was another picture that our, I remember our house kind of looking like that for a while too. And then, you know, a lot of the houses in our neighborhood, they look like this next picture. And I can imagine that Paul, as he was, had, when he had to flee from the Thessalonians, and he was look, thinking back about them, and he was building a spiritual house among the Thessalonian church. I wonder if he thought it might look like this or some of those other pictures. Or it was just the frame was up, the roof was on, but they were lacking so much. And Paul even talks about that when he says, we sent Timothy to you to encourage you, to support you, to shepherd you, and to give to you what was lacking. And it makes me ask the question, what's lacking in my faith? What's lacking in our faith as believers? And last week, as Paul hit really hard about the whole idea of being afflicted and being tempted and the trials that we face, and then right here in this prayer, and I'm going to back up just to verse 10, Paul says, as we pray very earnestly night and day to see you face to face and to complete what is lacking in your faith. And now let's all stand again here in verse 11. Let's stand up again. We're going to burn those calories off. Paul then goes to say, and there's several things about this apostolic prayer here that I just love. But he says, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus, may he direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone just as we do for you. And may he make our, your hearts blameless and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. Amen. You may be seated. Who's Paul praying to? There's lots of debate in many Christian circles. We're only to pray to the Father. We're only to pray to the Son. No, we're supposed to speak to the Holy Spirit. But Paul says, he, what does he say? He says, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is directing his prayer to both the Father and to the Son through the power and presence of Holy Spirit. And we can get really hung up on the Trinity. You know what? It's a mystery. And I'll never forget when I was ordained, I had an oral exam. It lasted like five hours. And my first question was this, explain the Trinity and how it relates to your ministry. After 45 minutes of trying to answer that question, I said, well, you know, guys, it's a mystery. 
And one of the professors said, that's the first thing right you've said in this answer. And when we get to heaven, we'll say the most common word in heaven. Wow. When we finally see face to face our Lord Jesus in the presence and glory of his father. But Paul, right here in this simple prayer, he points the Thessalonians to who? To God, who is Trinity. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he says, may our Father, may God our Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ, may he direct us to you. You see, one of the things about this prayer that really speaks powerfully to me too is just the detail that Paul brings to his prayers. Too many of us think that God might be too busy or too occupied or he's too worried about how the universe is functioning that he doesn't care about my little needs. Well, that's just a huge lie from the evil one. God knows the very hairs on your heads and he's got them counted. And for me, that gets easier every year because I lose hair on my head, but I'm getting hair on my ears and in my ears. So I'm not quite sure how that works. But Paul longs to see the Corinthian, the Thessalonian church again, because of that persecution, they had to flee. And we can talk about that later. Why didn't he stand in light of that persecution and be hit? There's a time and place for everything. But Paul longs and he desires to get back. But time and time again, Satan was impeding upon them being able to get back to the Thessalonians. So he pours his heart out. He's saying, may our heavenly father, may our Lord Jesus Christ, may he direct us back to you. And one day it's going to happen. You see, God's ways are not our ways and his time is not our time. And there are many times we want answers and we want them yesterday. We want them now. But God's like, nope. in his time. And that's where we have to trust. And that's where our eyes of our hearts and of our minds have got to be placed upon him where we learn to trust him in his timing and in his way, letting him do the work. But that should never keep us from pleading and from storming the gates of heaven. Jesus says, you do not have because you do not ask. Well, I want to be accused of having asked too much and not having never asked. And while we ask and we ask and we plead, the Lord will teach us and he'll speak to us. Because remember, he's given us one mouth and two ears. So as we plead to our Heavenly Father, may we make sure we listen with the ears of our heart to allow him to speak to us. Clear as mud? Okay, we're dismissed. No. But as I say, Paul is building a spiritual house in Corinth. And he knows he only spent two, three, four, five weeks with them. Not very long. It says three Sabbaths. So it was more than two weeks. And part of my thought is, well, maybe Paul thought, and Chris, these are the next pictures of these houses. Maybe he thinks that maybe the Thessalonian spiritual house looked kind of like this. And he knows that they're lacking. Or maybe it looked like this house here, the next one, Chris. Maybe he messed up a little bit. And he was teaching things. And he realized, ooh, I forgot to teach them some of the important stuff. It's all upside down. Or it might look like the next one, you know, where it's really crooked and tilted. But Paul has this deep desire. He wants to be a professional builder of Jesus, not building these physical houses, but building a spiritual house. Chris, you can keep going to some of these other pictures. He wants to make sure that their foundation is not on some cliff that's going to fall off because of spiritual erosion or because the culture is so contra Jesus that their life, their spiritual life looks like this. Paul wants to make sure that the Thessalonians aren't lacking anything 
but that the foundation of their building is built on the rock, which is Jesus. And Paul wants to make sure, and you can go to the next one, Chris. He really wants to make sure that the kid's swing set is not hanging over some cliff. And I'm making light of this. But Paul knows that the Thessalonians still lack in their faith. And so when we get to the meat of this prayer after Paul's praying and he's pleading, Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, direct our way to the Thessalonians. And then look at this prayer. He says, and look at this. And may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone. For who? For everyone, just as we do for you. And Winston preached on it a couple weeks ago when Paul was encouraging the Thessalonians. He says, we loved you like a mother loves her children. You know, there is such thing as a father's love. And I love it watching a father love and dote on their little children. Watch Josh with his two boys, especially Ezra. Now that Ezra can run. But there's nothing like a mother's love. Nothing can compare to it. I'll never forget, a couple years ago, Chris and I were up in East Tennessee. We were not camping. We were staying in a cabin. And I was sitting outside. We were cooking on the grill, and I heard something behind me, and I stood up, and there was a black bear, as far as me, to that drum set. And I spooked it. It's a big Rottweiler, basically. And it goes, woo, and it goes one way, next way, and then jumped down the ravine, and I, my heart was brrrr. Next day, I'm walking up the road, and I'm walking, and my, I don't have my headphones on. Don't want to see a bear. And about 100 yards up, this tiny little black bear comes running out into the street. He's spinning around, twirling around a baby cub. And I'm like, <clears throat> start backing up. He sees me. He stands up. He looks around. He darts back into the woods. I'm slowly backing up. Then big mama comes out, and she stands right up. Now, she's 100 yards away. Now, that's three seconds, and she's in my front doorstep. And then two more bear cubs come up, and then she looks at me, and then she goes on up the, the ridge. And I, and I told myself, I think it's time for me to turn around. A mother's love. And you see, as Paul prays this prayer right here, what does he pray? He says, may the Lord cause you. Who? It's the Lord who causes us what? To what? To overflow, to increase. with love for one another and for everyone. You see, as Christians, Jesus commands us to love one another as he's loved us so that the world will see our love for one another and they will know that we're his disciples by our love. Not by our doctrine, not by the songs we sing, not by even the ministries we do, but it's by the love that we have for one another the world will know that we are Jesus' disciples. Now, our doctrine is very important. The songs we sing is extremely important. But are we known by the love that we have for one another? Paul talks a lot about it in 1 Corinthians. We can have all the wisdom in the world, but if we do not have love, We can have faith to move mountains and to do mighty miracles, signs and wonders. But if we do not have love, we can have all wisdom to discern every mystery. But if we do not have love, we are just like some of those houses on the cliff or upside down where the foundation is crumbling. 
And so Paul is reminding these Thessalonians in light of all the affliction they're facing. And remember, these are baby Christians. These believers at Thessalonica, they've only been believers for just a few months. And he's reminding them it's the love and it's the Lord who causes this love to increase and to overflow. I got a question. How many of you have had a water leak in your house or apartment? Last week, two weeks ago, last week, two weeks ago, I pull into our driveway and our driveway is about 100 yards up to the house. And it was before the rain started here. And so our front yard was brown. We call it Spanish brown grass. We call it paja. Hey, crunchy. And as I pull into the driveway, guess what I see flowing over the driveway? Water. And it's just flowing. It's overflowing. And it's not because it rained. I pull up to the house and it's dark. It's eight o'clock at night. I grab the flashlight. I'm saying a lot of words under my breath that I need to confess to the Lord later on. And I go out to the driveway and I start in the driveway and we've got a huge front yard. I'm like, oh man. All right, here we go. Flashlight. And there's a swath of water and it's overflowing. Say overflowing. It's overflowing. It's flowing right down the yard. I start going back and forth a swath about the size of these, these pews right here, which are 28 feet across. And right in the middle of our front yard, there's this indention that's about 20 feet by 15 feet, and it's about three feet deep. Don't know why it's there. There's a bunch of rocks on one side, and Christy and I have never known what it's there, but I have half to mow around it. And I get up to it, and it's full of water. And Christy's out there with me, and that water's just flowing. And we're like, this is where the water pipe broke. We run down, we turn off the water. The next, we call the city water, we call the plumbers, and Christy's out with the plumbers. The very next day, guess how many gallons are rolling through our water? One gallon every 45 seconds. 85,000 gallons are overflowing in our front yard a day. We're doing a collection, we're passing the plate. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> An overflow. May it increase, not your city water with a busted pipe. But may the love that we have for one another, may the Lord cause it. Who causes it? The Lord. May he cause our love for one another to increase, to overflow for one another and for everyone. Love. Now, we've talked a whole lot about love. And if you look at, and I've told, I said this weeks ago, if you want to spend a lot of time on YouTube, there are numerous interviews where people go around asking people to describe and define love. Most people can't do it. And most people who do define love, it's all about feelings and emotions. It's all about making someone happy. Is that love? You know, John the Apostle, he wrote in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, this is what John the Apostle says. And this is what he commands. And we looked at this weeks ago. He says, he tells us in verse 15, do not love the world. For he then says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride in one's possessions is not from the father, but it is from the world. You see the love of the world and the love that we find in the world most of all is this right here, the lust of the flesh. It's the lust of the eyes. And that's just not a sexual lust. 
But that is a self-centered, all-consuming, passionate desire for fleshly, sinful things. And it can be sexual, but it can also just be idolatrous. It could be greed. It could be, it could just be rampant capitalism that is so self-centered and materialism is the word I'm trying to find. It's narcissistic. This is the love of the world. The love of the world is selfish. It's lustful. It's greedy and it's idolatrous. It is based on feelings and self-seeking sentiment and pleasure. It is self-actualizing and self-centered. It's narcissistic and humanistic. It is self-aggrandizing. It's unstable. It's shifting. It's intolerant. It's prideful and arrogant. It prides itself on the greatness of humanity and its own ability to declare itself as the rulers, captains, lords, makers, and creators of one's own destiny. I'll read it again. This is the love of the world which does not come from the Father. It is selfish, lustful, greedy, and idolatrous. It is based on feelings and self-seeking sentiment and pleasure. It is self-actualizing and self-centered, narcissistic and humanistic. It is unstable. It is shifting. It's intolerant. It's prideful, and it's arrogant. It prides itself on the greatness of humanity and its own ability to declare itself as the rulers, captains, lords, makers, and creators of our own destiny. That is a worldly love. When I look at this verse here in 1 John chapter 2, where John says, 1 John chapter 2, Chris, go back, please. Where John says, do not love the world for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of one's own possessions. And that's just not material possessions but that could be the pride of one's own experiences or knowledge or wisdom. It comes not from the Father. And that's what the love of the world is. It is so self-centered. And that's not the type of love that Paul is praying for the Thessalonians to increase and to overflow with, to abound in. We know the verse, and it won't be on the screen, But 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love is patient, love is kind. It does, it's not easily angered. It does not boast. It rejoices with the truth. It always hopes. It perseveres. It never fails. True love is the epitome of Jesus. If we truly want to see love in action, we've got to look to Jesus Christ and who he was and how he lived because he reflected that love. You see, God's love, the type of love that Paul is praying for right here in this verse here in 1 Thessalonians, it's that agape love. It's the love that flows from our heavenly father. It's the love that was revealed by Jesus Christ, not only his life, but his death on the cross and then his burial and then his resurrection. It's that, self, it's that sacrificial love. It's a love that gives. Agape love is a 100% total, complete commitment for the well-being of another. That is God's love. That is the love that Paul is praying that will overflow, that will increase in the believers, not only of Thessalonica, but of Woodbine, of Nashville. You see, agape love is this. God's love requires sacrifice. It requires intentionality, time, a giving and of receiving. 
It requires listening. It requires patience. It requires a commitment for the benefit of another person and their growth and their own love and holiness in the Lord. Love that comes from God is pure. It's good. It's true. It's steadfast. It's holy. It is other-centered. It is humble. It is righteous. And it is life-giving. And that's the type of love that Paul was praying that would increase and overflow in the Thessalonians to one another and to everyone. And I love Paul's little comment here, just as we do for you. Wow, can can we say that? It might sound prideful, but if it's true. The second half of this verse here, and I, and I think and I know Paul was writing this to encourage the Thessalonians because remember, they're facing severe affliction and persecution. Look at what Paul says here. May he make your hearts blameless. May who? He. In the same way, it is the Lord that increases our love. It is the Lord that makes our love overflow. We can't conjure it up ourselves. It's him doing the work in us. Paul then goes on to pray here, and may our heavenly father, may our Lord Jesus Christ, may he make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and father. Okay, blameless. What does blameless mean? It means innocent of wrongdoing and guilt. Raise your hand if you're blameless. Oof. But you see, in Christ and Jesus, we are all blameless. And it's not for the good we do, but it's by his incredible mercy and grace. And Paul is praying the prayer that has already been answered by the Lord Jesus Christ. He makes us blameless and holiness. Now, hmm, those two words, blameless and holiness, what's the difference? Well, see, holiness means set apart. It means different. It's not just the absence of sin and immorality, but it is being completely set apart and devoted. And only God is by nature holy. He is exalted above all things and he is worthy of complete devotion. He is the only one who is perfect in goodness and in righteousness. And because he's good and because he is love and because he is merciful, he then bestows upon us his holiness and he makes us holy. Not only does he call us and command us to be holy, but he himself is the one who makes us holy. And Paul's prayer right here is that we would be blameless, that we would be innocent of wrongdoing and without guilt and that we would be set apart for God's purposes. It is God doing that work in us. We don't have to conjure it up and do it ourselves. Now, I want to encourage you guys as we think about this prayer, and I want to encourage you guys to really to pray this prayer for you, for your family, for our church every day. Not like some of my dear friends in Mexico who pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father art in heaven, how be thy name, thy human, thy will be down, there is in heaven. Because some of our dear brothers and sisters and some of the denominations thinks that if you pray that prayer enough times every day, God will finally answer your prayers. 
It's not true. But as we were singing our worship songs today, as we were repeating over and over, I sit there thinking, this is meditation. We don't just sing to get the song done so that we can get to the real stuff of worship, which is the preaching of the word. We gather for worship and for song and for prayer and for the preaching of the word. We do it all for God's glory. We come to offer ourselves to him for his glory. And many times when we sing, it's an incredible opportunity just to meditate and to soak in God's presence as we sing. And as we sing those verses and those songs and as we repeat them and as we sing, it's meditation. It's like a cow chewing its cud over and over and over. We let it soak in. You see, all of us are like a dry sponge. And we need to soak in a big bucket of water and allow ourselves to absorb everything that Holy Spirit has for us so that his love would increase in us, would overflow in us, that he makes us blameless. He makes us holy. And I want to encourage you guys, all of us, myself included, don't kill yourself with the shoulda, couldas, and wouldas. I should do this. I could have done that. I would have done that. And don't let the need as must as and got us. I need to do this, and I got to must do that, and I got to do that. We will kill ourselves with legalism. Don't let the voice of the evil one or even your own flesh destroy you by the shoulda, coulda, wouldas and the need of God some mustas. Soak in the loving presence of Holy Spirit, letting the grace and mercy of Jesus to flow in you. Paul ends this prayer. He says, may he make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. One of the things I think many of us as evangelicals, we forget, I tend to forget a lot. Jesus is coming back. And he's coming back to restore all things. I found a t-shirt online the other day. I need to order it and actually love these colors and they're Michigan colors, which I'm about ready to die. A lot of people are saying normal isn't coming back, but Jesus is. Paul is reminding these dear Thessalonians and worship team, I want to invite you guys to come on back. Paul is reminding these dear Thessalonians, remember, they're being afflicted. They're being persecuted. They're being hit really hard by trials, tribulations, and temptations. And Paul is reminding them, it's like, he's like a good builder, like a good carpenter. He's building their house. And he knows that they still lack And so he wants to remind them of the most important things. It's the love. We receive God's love to give that love away. Jesus told Simon the Pharisee when the the sinful woman was just, when she poured that oil out upon Jesus and was weeping and washing and wiping his feet with her tears and her hair. And Simon the Pharisee rebukes that woman. He thinks that he doesn't do it verbally, but he doesn't, he despises her in his heart. He doesn't in in her heart, in his heart. And he despises Jesus by saying, if this man was truly a prophet, he would truly know what type of woman is touching him. And then Jesus rebukes Simon the Pharisee. And basically he says, you know, he who is forgiven much will love much. And I know that's horrible English. But we need to remember, Paul himself was a Pharisee. He was very self-righteous. 
He was extremely zealous for the Lord. He was so zealous for God and the faith of the Old Testament that he was even killing Christians and putting them in prison. And by God's incredible grace, as many of you know, Jesus shows up, knocks him to the ground, blinds him. And over the course of numerous months and even years, the Lord Jesus overwhelms Paul by his grace and his mercy and his love. And Paul experiences the incredible grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus that Paul gave himself over to be one of the first missionaries. And God used Paul to radically transform the entire Roman world, not just Paul. But Paul was so touched by the love of the Father that he was willing to suffer, to be beaten, stoned, imprisoned, shipwrecked, chased all over the eastern part of the Roman world for the sake of the gospel. And Paul, as a former Pharisee, so longs for this Thessalonian church to experience the love and grace and mercy of Jesus that he prays that their love would increase and overflow, that they would be blameless in holiness, and it's the Lord doing it all. So I want to encourage you guys. Pray this prayer for yourself every day. Spend time asking the Holy Spirit to reveal to you how much our Heavenly Father truly loves you. And pray that His love would increase in your hearts to overflowing and that you, that we, would be found blameless in His holiness for the coming of King Jesus. Do not lose heart. Let's stand. Let's pray. And now may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone. May he make your hearts blameless and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. We ask these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.